0: Well, I just want to extend another welcome to you. You can never welcome people too much, right? Especially uh, when we're getting ready to do some unique and special things. And so welcome uh, both of you watching online, folks that are watching that way, and also people that are here. Uh, we're hoping this morning that you will experience experiencing something unique and that you will experience the very person of Jesus, because that's our hope every Sunday is that people encounter him. Uh, through things that are happening in this place. And so if you've got some notes, you'll want to open those up. We're going to enter into a time of message. Um, if you're here, they'll be inside your bulletin. You can also use the app. You can download the app and the notes are also inside the app. And so we're going to continue a series we, be, we started called Essentials. And so we've been going through a season where we've been told what's essential and what's not essential. And we've been walking through that spiritually to ask the question, what truly is essential in the area of spiritual realm? First week, we talked about the good news, the gospel, and we talked about those dynamics of admission, belief in what Jesus had done and a commitment to him. The second week, we talked about prayer and not to be a prayer wimp, but a prayer warrior. And that God was calling the church consistently all the time to pray through the things that he's bringing them through. And then um, week three, we talked about relationships. And we talked about as much as it's up to you to be at peace with each and every person that God brings into your life, especially those that sometimes you have conflict with. Last week, we talked about forgiveness connected right to that dynamic. And we talked about being reconciled and that Jesus's idea of forgiveness is a little different than ours. It's a little different than the psychology of today that it talked about what it means to be. be reconciled is that you want the very best in that person's life to see them reconciled with God, And sometimes that brings us to difficult decisions. Well, this week, we're going to look at another essential, and it's the essential to take up your cross. Now, in modern use, and the way that we use this today in our culture, in our language, and in the States... We think of take up your cross, and you've probably heard people even use this phrase maybe at work or in your family, and when they usually say take up their cross, usually they're going through some type of burden, right? So they'll go through something like a strained relationship, and they'll say like, well, I guess the Lord just wants me to take up my cross, right? Or you'll find someone that's going through a health issue, and they'll equate the health issue that they're walking through to taking up their cross, or some other form of a burden in their life. And that's what they think of when they think of taking up their cross. Well, the problem is we look so many times, both at our life spiritually, and especially the Bible, through our own lens. We put on our own goggles and filter it through our own understanding, the way that we're walking through life and our own experiences, and we forget that God actually intended you to see something when he originally penned something, and when Jesus originally went through something. So if you want to know what it means to take up your cross, you have to look to the life of Jesus and say, what did it mean for him to take up his cross? Because when he looks at the people closest to him and says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, he's saying, I'm about to do this. There's an example coming. So think about some of the things he went through. Did you know that when he went to the cross, he actually, you know, was scourged, but you know, he had a hundred pound beam that he had to carry for about a kilometer as he walked through those streets to take it to his cross. You may not understand what you know about crucifixion, but crucifixion was meant to completely humiliate a person. It wasn't just capital punishment. It was not just something that was meant to take their life. It was meant to take their life and do it with extreme humiliation. You know, a lot of the paintings that we have show Jesus with a loincloth, but the reality is he was probably on the cross, most scholars believe, completely stripped naked, which is why they were able to gamble over his actual undergarments. So he was naked on there. The whole process was designed to humiliate him. In fact, humility is one of the things that Jesus was trying to help us see. And so if you want to understand what it means to take up your cross, you have to understand that humiliation is at the center of the crucifixion, and that it took extreme humility for a person to go through what Jesus went through. In fact, no one believes one person could do that, only someone who is uniquely the Son of God. So let's look at Philippians 2. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're just going to look at Philippians 2, 1 through 8, because this particular passage of Scripture talks to us about the humility of Christ, and it talks to us from the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the church in Philippi. He wants that church specifically to understand that humility is at the heart of where they needed to be as a church. So starting with verse 1, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, the apostle says to the church, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose don't be selfish don't try to impress others be humble think of others as better than yourselves don't look out only for your own interest but take an interest in others too you must have the same attitude that Christ had though he was God he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. In the parentheses, it says emptied himself. We'll get to that. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, at the heart of this passage, as you get to that final part where it says that he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross... You've got to consider everything that precedes that. If you really want to know what he's asking when he says, take up your cross. And taking up your cross, at least from a Christian viewpoint, is absolutely essential if you're to live out the Christian faith and not just, you know, the faith that we see among a lot of people that don't really live it out. So let's look at this in detail. So taking up your cross requires some things. The first thing it requires is humble unity, humble unity. If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ. Now, here's some things about unity you can see in this passage. Belonging to Christ. If you've got a Bible, you can underline or circle that or put that in your notes. Any fellowship. Fellowship has to do with unity, is the original word that's used there. And together in the Spirit, meaning that we're under the Spirit's control, the Spirit's thoughts, what the Spirit is trying to teach you and I. He says, agreeing wholeheartedly. That's another dynamic of unity. And then he says, working together, obvious comment about unity, one mind and one purpose. Again, unity. And then he ends that with be humble, which we'll get to in a second, which is an actual commandment that he puts in this text. Most commentators, when they look at this, they they focus on something about this church in Philippi. So this church is a real church that Paul's writing to, just like this church. There was a gathering. And one of the problems was they had incredible disunity that was happening in this church. They had some fights. They had some stuff going on. And at the heart of their disunity was they were not aligned under a vision that was honoring to God, moving forward based on expanding his kingdom. We have these issues, I guarantee you, in the church today. And actually in two weeks, one of the essentials we'll look at just specifically is unity and how to bring the church into greater unity. But it's right here, and it's connected to humility. So what's humility look like? So let's look at each one of these in turn. Belonging to Christ means that if you're a Christian, you call in the name of Jesus, that you belong to him, which means you are not your own. Let that settle for a second. You were purchased, Scripture says, with a price. You are not your own. If you call the name of Jesus and say, I am a Christian, it means that you no longer belong to yourself, but you've completely placed yourself under submission to him. Now, if you want an example of this, Jesus did this. Because remember what the scripture says? He was just like God. That they are identical. That they're both god and Jesus didn't consider robberies, like the NIV, robbery with God. So, so here's the reality. When he looked at that, he took it, even though he was co-equal with God, and he placed himself under God for a season. To give you and I an example of what humility looks like and what it means to belong to a plan and to the kingdom. He did that as an example for you and I, and he wants us to do that as an example as we serve one another. And that's required if you want to see this kind of unity and humility and what it means to take up your cross. The second thing is, he talks about fellowship in the spirit. Well, relationship with the spirit of God means that you have fellowship, hangout, you're intimately connected. One of the things that's of value at this church, if you're here for a while, you'll hear it often. I hope you hear it to the point you're sick of hearing it, and it's ad nauseum, is that you should be having a daily hang time with God. That's only when you have a daily hang time with God that you truly begin to understand when you have fellowship with the Spirit. Most Christians' only consumption of God's Word comes when they maybe come to church two times a month. But people that are in God's Word every day, fellowshipping with God, spending time with God, the Spirit begins to speak to them, to guide them, to, to kind of discipline them, and even change their thinking and the reactions of their life. So someone that knows what it means to take up their cross knows that this is important, this fellowship with the Spirit, and you primarily get that in your hang time. Agreeing wholeheartedly means there's no reservation. You're not holding anything back. Your whole heart's in this. And one of the techniques we use sometimes when we're doing Christian counseling or marital counseling is we talk about something called sharing your withhold. Some of you may have heard of this. And in all of our lives, and all of our relationships, all of us withhold things from one another. We withhold negative comments that we probably should have said that build up till they blow up, right? And then we also withhold nice things that we see about someone else. We're like, I should have complimented them on this. So in this context, when it says about green wholeheartedly, it means that you don't withhold any of that. That there's this wholehearted agreement and the unity that God is bringing the church together and how you're going forward. Paul later talks about this in the area of giving. And he talks about don't be coerced, right? In other words, don't let leaders pastors, spiritual mentors, manipulate you, coerce you, you should be drawn wholeheartedly by God's spirit and God's vision, but not necessarily by a process or a system. He talks about working together with one mind and one purpose. All the words here again to show this unity. One of the things that perplexes me a little bit, so I'll get on the soapbox for one second, um, between, as I watch the generations, because I love, one of the things I love about our church is the generations. You know, we've got an older generation, a grandparent generation, that's what I'll call it. We've got the, the, the older parents, you know, got some older teens. We've got younger parents and families, and then we've even got young teens, right? And even kids. They're all part of this. And what's interesting when you have multiple generations in your church is you get to see how they react differently to different things that the church calls them to. And I'm going to give you an example of one that I've seen that's a hang up for some people when we talk about one mind and one purpose. It's the idea of membership. You see, membership has waned in the younger generation. They're like, I don't understand it. Can't we just partner together to move forward? You know, that's kind of like, hey, can't we just live together before we get married? There's something about that that says, I'm kind of in, but I'm not all in. And this passage is talking about working together with one mind and one purpose, meaning that you see what God is doing, and you're excited about it, not coerced, and that you will submit yourself to take up your cross to the authority of the leaders that God has given you to move forward to advance the kingdom because you have one mind and one purpose. This is why we still do a covenant when we do our first class to have people covenant with God and covenant with the church and one another and what it means to be a part of this specific gathering. It's why we don't just do partnership, just partner with us, okay? We want you to fully engage, to fully be in. In fact, we feel so strongly about that. I know Pastor Tony gets tripped out and he loves it when I say this in class. I tell people all the time, if God hasn't called you here, let us know. We'll help you find the right place. You know why we believe that? Because we believe in this, one mind and one purpose. And there's lots of churches, there's lots of gatherings, and we would much prefer that you would be fully engaged, advancing the kingdom than not being humble enough to be able to fully surrender and submit to the authority of leadership of this church. God's doing something unique in this body. I can sense it and I can feel it. And as I talk to the leaders of our church, they sense it too. A couple of the leaders and a couple of friends that I get to hang out with have really messed with me lately. They're like, "Do you sense what the Spirit's doing in our church?" And I'm like, "A little bit. It's kind of scary." And they're like, "We sense it too." And one of those friends came to me recently. He's like, "Man, the attack is coming because of what's going on. There's there's an attack on the unity of the body and the unity of the direction." He asked me to fast with him for three days last week, and I did. And there were things that were happening in his life and there were things that were happening in my life as we re- united with that because we wanted to work together to one mind and one person and to one purpose. And I believe, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in the end, that God's about to surprise us as a church family. I believe he's about to call us to humility, to humble ourselves in prayer again and to begin to fast and ask, what are you about to do, God? And what will we have to give up What will we have to humbly submit to you so that we can see your kingdom advance again in this gathering, this place? So the first thing is that he wants humble unity is what it means to take up your cross. The second thing is it requires an emptying of yourself. If you really want to take up your cross, you have to empty yourself. And so I love this passage. This is probably my favorite passage in scripture where he says your attitude has to be the same as Christ Jesus had. Now think about attitude because you probably know some people that got some attitude, right? attitude affects, as we were talking about before, perception, doesn't it? We were talking about this with our worship team, weren't we, Joe? The attitude which you prepare your heart prepares you to either hear or be opposed to what God's about to do in your life. I'm convinced that most of the emotional issues that people have in life today are because of attitude. Their attitude's prepared in the wrong place. And Christ had an attitude, and literally the apostle saying to take on this same attitude in you and in me. And to do that, he gave up something. With Jesus, he gave up his divine rights. In fact, this is a mystery. Most scholars, when they come to this word, they say this is confusing to them. They know he gave up something. They disagree on what he gave up. And so there's a mystery. And I think sometimes in scripture, we need to let mysteries be mysteries. You know what I mean? Instead of trying to explain them away too much, and maybe get somewhere where God doesn't want us. But the mystery that's here is that he gave up something so that he could present himself in a humble position. My current conviction is Jesus gave up his rights to act in his divinity. Yeah, remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. He can do anything, right? He thinks it, he wills it, it happens, right? I think he set that aside for an entire season on earth. And he came completely dependent Upon the Father's plan and the Spirit's empowerment. And in doing that, He gave you and I an example and no excuse in the way that we can live in this humble example. But to do that, to show us this example, Jesus emptied Himself. He didn't cling to that which was owed to Him. And that's the attitude He wants you and I to have. Here's what that attitude looks like. And let me read it to you in a couple different translations. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's the NIV. ESV says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is where some of the scholars are wrestling with this. But what they know is you and I are supposed to change the way that we think. And it requires us emptying ourselves of the things that we think are owed. Some of you may have read a book a while back. It's an older book, but it's probably one of the best books ever written. It's number one bestseller. It's called The Power of Positive Thinking. have probably heard of it, haven't you? John probably knows who wrote it, don't you? Norman Vincent Peale. Okay, so, so in this book, he, he talks literally about if you change the perspective of which you look at things, the lens by which that you, you place over things, it can change the way you actually operate physically in life. He was tapping into this principle, whether he knew it or not. And when Jesus says, take up your cross, what he's actually saying about changing your attitude is to change your lens. Change the way you view your neighbor. Change the way you view your church. Change the way you view your spouse. Change the way, and you begin to view them through an area of emptying of self. This is what it means to take up your cross. You also notice that in this vein, in this vein of your attitude being changed and your attitude being adjusted, who you spend time with changes your attitude, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You get around some people and they give you energy, don't they? They're like, that guy's exciting, that lady's exciting. When I'm around them, I get excited about life, I get excited about my faith. But there's the converse of that too, isn't there? You know who I'm talking about, right? You probably can hear the sucking noise when you think of that person, right? They just suck the life right out of you. Why is that? Because they don't have the attitude of Christ. They haven't emptied themselves. In fact, what they're trying to do is just fill themselves with you or fill themselves with themselves, really, is what's really going on there. And these kind of people, when you're around them, change the way that you operate and they change the attitude that Christ wants you to have. This is why, in my mind, accountability is so important in groups. It's why I think people can never be fully in the Christian faith and fully understand what it means if they don't get into the right group. Because when you're in that right group, you're in that right Bible study, it changes your Attitude. It changes your very perspective. He gave up. He emptied himself. Let's go into that one piece of that passage. The, the literal theology of this, if you want to look it up later, you just want to geek out, because some people love to geek out, and you can write it down it's called kenosis. It's K E N O S I S. You can geek out on that word all you want. But what it means is to empty. The, the best picture of it means to pour something out. That Jesus poured out of himself everything that was owed to him. And in this is the picture that we get. Of humility, let me tell you the place I see this often in the church, or the lack of this in the church. Okay, is when we talk about styles of worship. Right? Everyone has a specific style they like, so and they they like that style because it appeals to them. What it means to empty yourself means that when you come into a moment of worship, which is actually supposed to be about who God. You don't come and cling to the thing that you think is owed to you, that should be done this way or that way. This humble attitude means that you empty yourself of that. And when that happens, your perspective changes. And in that humility, you begin to understand what it means to take up your cross. This happens all the time. I was talking to someone recently and um, they said, we know you don't like this specific style of music. And they were shocked to find out that I like all kinds of different styles of music and that I was actually raised with the style of music that they most wanted to hear in church most of the time. Really? I'm like, yeah, but what I do is I just believe, and I know and some of our worship leaders appreciate what you shared today, Joe, with our team. We want our worship leaders to be able to express their gifts uniquely among that team and I'm trusting the spirit of God to lead us in that moment and humble myself to whatever God's doing there. That's what it means to empty yourself in the context of how Jesus emptied himself. Another one I see often, this one will sting, but this, is, this preaching sometimes stings, is when people say, can you please just make this pulpit announcement for me? If you don't say it, pastor, people won't do it. Let me tell you, The Spirit of God is powerful enough if you have a compelling enough vision and that God's called you to lead something that he will draw the right people to that, whether I say it or not. God's that powerful. I got to tell you, God didn't wake up and go, I need Larry today. He didn't do that. What he did say is, I need the church today to be the church. And so you empty yourself of the things that you think are owed to you. There's such a mystery in this, but such so powerful. I'll give you some other examples of this that go going deeper spiritually. Let me ask you an oxymoron kind of question. It's baited. Can God die? And the answer is, of course not. He's God, right? He has no beginning, no end. And yet in Jesus, because he emptied himself, he died. He set aside these things and he gives you and I this amazing example of humility. And in this humble position, we find it brings things together to the church. So let me give you an example in marriage. Paul, This is all through Paul's writings to the church. In Ephesians 5, when he's talking to husbands and he's talking to wives, he comes to this point and he's actually talking about emptying self. And he says, husbands, love your wife how? The way Christ loves his church. How did he love his church? He emptied himself her desires, the things that are important for the family, the things that you should be submitted to, praying about, leading through. He says, that's what you're to be about. Not about what you want to do, but what about brings this family health. And then he says something that really messes with our culture today. He says, and wives, I want you to submit to your husband that same way. And people are like, whoa, wait a minute. We can't do that. Have you not read modern stuff? That's not the way it works. But I'm telling you, when you begin to have this mind And you have a husband that surrenders fully to the will of God and wants to make your life that good and connected to the Father, then this starts to happen. And wives, when you start to do this, you actually draw your husband to gracious submission before God because you bring him into the leadership that he should be. This reality... Will change our perspective. And this is what God wants us to understand what it means to empty ourselves. So you take up the cross requires this humble unity, the emptying of yourself and the things that you think are owed to you. And then it comes with an obedient humiliation. It eventually manifests itself in an obedient humiliation. He humbled himself in obedience in God and to God and died a criminal's death. So in this, you see this humility. And it evidences self and obedience. If you want a picture of this, most people remember this picture, right? You remember the Garden of Gethsemane. A lot of people have paintings about this. Even if you haven't read the Bible, most people have this picture of the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And that Jesus is there, and he's praying, and he's praying that if it's possible, what would happen? That the Father's will would change. If there's any other way to bring about the salvation and the forgiveness of the entire world, hey, let that be known right now. But he says something there that's so powerful. He says, not my will, but your will be done. That's this idea of humility and submission and the humility and obedience that follows. And it's because of his humble obedience that he gets to the point that he actually is humiliated. Think about this for a second. The creator of the universe who spoke everything into being by the very power of his words allowed his own creation to crucify him. That's humility. That's humble obedience. And he did that because it was the Father's plan from the very beginning to save the world. You ever wonder why we kneel when we pray? You ever thought about that? It's to put ourselves in a posture of submission. It's to put ourselves in this posture of understanding that we have to be humble before God, And that sometimes obedience will bring about humility. We don't like this, but this is what it means to take up your cross. You know that in Deuteronomy 21, one of the things that's so powerful about this and what Paul's alluding to is that anyone hung on a tree in Deuteronomy, it says that they were cursed. So it wasn't just a death, it was a humiliating death, not only from Rome's perspective, but from the Jewish perspective. There was nothing about this that wasn't painful to the Son of God. It was a complete denying of self. And that's how you begin your faith, and that's how you sustain your faith, and that's how you walk in faith. I just want to tell you, God's calling you today, and it's hard at times, to lead a life in humble obedience, and it might actually require you some level of humiliation. And this is what it means to take Up your cross. So this morning, what area is God calling you to submit in? What area is He calling you to die to self? Where is the area which you seem to cling to, to hold on to, to not let go of? That no matter what, that's yours. And if you can define what that is, I guarantee you that's the area He wants you to surrender humbly before Him. If you've never done that initially, you do that through prayer. And one of the things that we try to do consistently here at this church is make it easy for you and I to recommit our faith in that way and to start our faith. One of the hardest things for people to do is to admit they're a sinner today, isn't it? That's humiliating, isn't it? To think, what are the areas where I fall short? And if I were to share those with people around me, that would be humiliating. But then to believe that Christ paid for that. He atoned for that. Every dynamic of your sin. So that then you would walk in commitment with him. Even willing to allow your own life to walk in humiliation so that he might have glory. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so I want to pray with you. If you've never done that, or you need to renew your faith... Today is the day that God wants you to do that, I guarantee you. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, for each person that's here and watching online, whether they're watching now or later, we all have areas of our lives that when we really think about them, they are humiliating. We would want no one else to know about them, whether it's a struggling marriage, failed relationship, an area of struggle with a habit, we will want no one to know about that struggle. But we know that when we bring those issues to you, we admit them freely. And we confess them. That we're now learning what it means to truly take up our cross. So Father, we give you a moment in this time. We ask you to examine our heart. If there's anything in us that offends you or has offended someone else, we give this moment to confess it and to admit it before you freely. Take that moment and just talk to God. Lord Jesus, thank you that in my confession and what I just admitted and what others here and online admitted, we come to someone who understands it because you understand humiliation. You understand the depth of sin. Not because you were sinful, but because you took on our sin. And in taking our sin upon yourself, you went to a humiliating death so that you could deal with our humiliation for all time and forgive the penalty of sin in our lives. Father, we thank you for what you did through the cross. We thank the Father for his plan. We thank the Son for his obedience. And We thank the Spirit that he empowered the Son for the entire time that he was on this earth. And that he still lives in his church today. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit now because of our belief in Christ alone to come inside of us, to change us, to change our very hearts, that we would bend toward your will and your desire. We commit our lives to you, God, no matter what the cost and no matter what others think about it. And in doing that, God, we place the moniker of Christian over our lives in a proud way, not because we've done anything, but because Christ has accomplished it all. We thank you for what you've done in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So this week, we're asking you to do tough message, kind of a kind of a deep message. Is this week just die to self by denying self? Okay, die to self by denying self. Um, I, I mentioned earlier to you that I felt like God was doing something. Our church, I'm going to give you just tip my hand a little bit because I don't know exactly what He's doing. I just know He's doing something unique. Um, when we got here, what I know is that the Lord led this church to pray. And in the prayer life of this church emerged what God wanted to do, and this church was able to experience revitalization. Well, what I know he wants to do again is to humble us in prayer. That part I know. And so I'd like to call you, if you're willing to do this with me, just for a week, if you would fast and pray with me for one week from this day till Saturday. I'm going to fast both breakfast and lunch. If you can't fast food, fast Facebook or whatever, whatever God's calling you to fast, but that you would take the time if you're going to fast and pray that God would make known to us the next evolution of this church. Because I don't think we can sit on our laurels, you with me, and just go, God's done. God's revitalized the church. I think that's something, if we get there, that's a dangerous place. He wants to call us to something new, and I guarantee you it will be something that scares every single one of us because that's what the Lord does. He calls you to something that you're like, whoa, there's no way we could do that without the absolute empowerment of God. Right? That's what he did. That's what he does And that part I know is what he's going to do again. So if you'd pray with me, that would be awesome. If you'd fast with me this week, I believe the Lord's going to do something quite unique and new.